Now, last Sunday, we, uh, we were studying and looking at the Great Commission, and I did, we read all four accounts of the Great Commission, and I made some comments about the Great Commission kind of in a general way. Uh, we didn't go into d- d- detail about uh, any of the specific Great Commission accounts. So what I want to do is I'd like to go into the uh, Great Commission accounts one by one and starting in the book of Luke and kind of go through them in a chronological way. In other words, as they occurred. And so the first one is in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And I will read, I'll skip around a little bit, but I want to read from verse 36 down through verse number 49. And just to get the context, this is the road uh, to Emmaus. This is when the two disciples were talking with Jesus, but they did not know it was Jesus. And this is the day of his resurrection. Okay, this is Sunday afternoon that they're walking on this road to this village from Jerusalem, just a short distance. And they're, they're walking together and Jesus kind of comes along in verse number, um, verse number 15 says, And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So they walked along and Jesus talked to them. And then it got close to evening, so they uh, insisted that the Lord stay with them, again, not knowing it was the Lord, and to eat with them. And in verse 30, it says, And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, and he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And notice what it says, He vanished out of their sight. So they were looking at him, and... One moment he was there, and the next moment he left. He was gone, okay? So that, that tells us something about the nature of the resurrection of the body, right? Even though, well, let's just keep going, all right? Verse 36. So the Bible says that immediately they got up from where they were, and they went back to Jerusalem at that moment. And so we pick up in verse 36. They met with the disciples and they told them what was happening. And verse 36 says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So once again, at first he vanished, now he appears. He's not there. And then they look and he's there. Okay? Verse 37. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. So what we we do know is that Jesus was not spiritual. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus rose from the dead in a, in a, uh, uh, he was a spirit being, whatever that means, but he had flesh and he had bones. He says, as ye see me have, in other words, I have flesh and bones, but yet even though he had flesh and bones like we have, and even though he was in a body that by all accounts was dead, should be dead, in other words, it it didn't require a beating heart and breathing lungs in order to function. He had victory over death, all right? But even though he had all those physical attributes, yet that did not prevent him from appearing and vanishing at will. All right, so that tells us a little bit about the nature of the resurrection. Verse 40, 
And when he has thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, be, they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their, their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send, <clears throat> excuse me, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for uh, the church. Lord, I pray for this body of believers that these people that you have gathered together, I pray for their, their welfare. I pray that the grace of God would rest upon uh, all of us corporately, but upon our lives individually when we're parted. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to serve you together. I pray that you'd give us wisdom and grace and the desire and the will and the, uh, the boldness to speak your word to other people, to make the gospel known. Lord, as we study this passage of Scripture tonight, Lord, would you please just meet with us and teach us and help us? We certainly do need your help to understand. Just like you did with these disciples, you, the Bible says you open their understanding. I pray that you would do that with us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the account of the Great Commission, as I said, that occurs. This happened on the day of the resurrection, Sunday the day of the resurrection. That afternoon, that evening is when this account of the Great Commission happens. And of course, we know that the one in, uh, the one in Matthew likely follows, and then the one in Mark, and then the one in Acts is the final one. Um, so this account of the Great Commission, I'll just read it again, verse 46 to 49, just so it's fresh in our mind. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, ye are and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now what this, this part, this uh, account of the Great Commission, it emphasizes the message of the Great Commission. And you'll see what I mean in just a second. And the reason, the reason I say that is in verse 46, it says, thus it is written and thus it behooved. Behooved just simply means it, is, it was required, it was necessary, it was needful that Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached. So in this, in this account, what we have is a clear description of what the message of the Great Commission is. In other words, what we as Christians are to be telling people who are not believers. All right? It's very simple. Christ suffered, died, and rose, right? And repentance 
and remission of sins. That's, this is the message. Now, what, what you might find interesting is in, is in the word, is in uh, Mark and in Matthew and in Acts, the Great Commission accounts there, which are, we know, different events, but they cover the same kind of material. In those, in those instances, did you know that the message is really not even mentioned except for one exception? In other words, he says, go preach, go teach, go witness, go do, th- go, things, go do things like this, but he doesn't tell you what to teach or preach or witness to, except in Mark. And in Mark, he says, preach the gospel to every creature. But there's no definition given of the gospel. You know, we look at other passages, you know, you think of the word gospel as the good news, right? That's what it means. But if you speak generally, the gospel can be any good news, Right? And, and in the Bible, you find it used in different ways as well. But in Luke is where you have what that gospel is specifically. In Luke, you don't see the word gospel, but you see the gospel, right? So in Luke, it says in verse 46, Thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now, this is the gospel, the gospel, you know, if you, if you ask a Mormon what the gospel is, what they'll tell you is it's the teachings of Jesus. The gospel is not the teachings of Jesus. The gospel is that Christ, somebody help me, was buried and rose again from the day, according to the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. If you would, look at that passage really quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I just want to show you some parallels of this with what we're looking at tonight. 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I've, notice, preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So the gospel, it says, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Notice the scriptures are mentioned in Luke as well. The Old Testament scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now one interesting point is actually grammatically, there is one additional point to the gospel than, than we normally associate with it. We say it's death of Christ, burial, and resurrection. But this adds, and that he was seen, which is he was witnessed. His resurrection was witnessed. Now, what's interesting is that overlaps with the Great Commission account in Acts. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. All right? But there is the gospel plainly, plainly stated. So here's the gospel. This is the message that we give to people. This is the message that we give to people, or we're supposed to give to people. And this is what God has done for us. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Pastor Tim Perry, and I are, are we're in the process of trying to write a gospel tract, and the title of that tract so far is God Has Provided. God Has Provided. And the, uh, the, the message of the gospel... Part one is this. This is what God has done to save you. This is what God has done to save you. 
the gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. But there's a second part in this Great Commission account that we as Christians are supposed to be teaching. And that is verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. So you have what God did. You have the gospel message, the story of the gospel. And then in, in the second part, you have the application of the gospel. In other words, you don't just tell someone the gospel. You tell someone the gospel and then you explain to them how that relates to them and why they need what Christ did for them. That's what, that's what we're talking about here. And the message of repentance and remission of sins, it actually comes out of the gospel. There can, repentance means nothing if there's not a Savior who died for sinners. If there's no substitute. There can be no, what does Hebrews say? Without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission. There can be no forgiveness and no, no cleansing in God's sight for a sinner, a guilty sinner, without Christ bearing his sins on the cross and rising from the dead. It is not possible. So preaching, you can repent all day long and you can, you can seek remission of sins all day long, but without the gospel, it is all void. It is all null and void. See what I'm saying? We must tell people the gospel. But then we must not just tell them the gospel and just leave it out there because this verse says we are to preach repentance and remission of sin. So we're supposed to take that message of the gospel and apply it to them and help them to understand what they must do in order to receive the benefits of that gospel. So this is calling them to repentance and calling them to faith. And by that faith, they get remission. So it's applying the gospel. This is the, we might say, this is the why of the gospel. Now, I just want to, before we move on, I just want to just make a few, make a few comments because this is, listen now, this is our mandate. These four Great Commission accounts when we start, you know, when we crank the, uh, the, the evangelism in our church, the corporate evangelism in our church back up, and we start going out, and I, and I hope if you've never been a part of corporate evangelism, if you've never been a part of that, you've been timid, I understand that. To be honest, I'm timid too. When I, I, I do not like to knock on somebody's door. You know, I get timid when I'm downtown Greenville and, and passing out gospel tracts, I get timid. But here's the thing, if that's you, let me just encourage you to just ask God for the grace and help and stick your neck out and just make that step and say, I know that I should be involved in evangelism, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna take part in this. But this is, these four accounts are the mandate for the church. This tells us what we're supposed to be telling people, okay? I'm going to say that again. This that we're reading tells us what we're supposed to be telling people. So we should not be telling people other things than this, right? This is it. All right, here's the problem. Here's why I say that. Because there is a difference between 
quote, trying to get people saved and preaching the gospel. Now, I want people to get saved, but I, I need, we just need to make some distinctions here so we, so we understand what this is saying. Sometimes what is commonly passed off as evangelism is not evangelism at all. The word evangelism comes from the word gospel. And if you're not telling people, if we are not telling people the gospel, how can we say we're evangelizing? The gospel, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. And then the the benefits of that, the call to repentance and faith, is a part of that message. That's the, as I said, the application of it. So if we're not telling people that, and we're just trying to get people saved, then we're not preaching the gospel. If we're trying to force someone into a formula whereby they just, they repeat the prayer or say the words or whatever, we're, what we're doing is we're focusing on trying to get people to follow the formula and we're not focusing on the gospel because here's the reality of this. I want to tell you, if you have a formula and we have a formula that we follow and we just want to get people to it, I mean, I've, heard, I've seen with my own eyes, read with my own eyes, formulas that they say this is the way you follow to, to win souls that have, have almost no bearing to the gospel at all. This is not what this text says. This is the message. This is the core of what we tell people. All right, so if we try to get people into a formula without actually telling them the gospel, we are, not, we, we are doing an injustice to, to what the gospel is and to the Great Commission. We are not doing the Great Commission. That's the bottom line. Here's the reality, though. In real life, When you tell somebody the gospel, I'm not talking about formula, forget formula. When you tell somebody the gospel and you call them to to repent and to believe in Christ, that that oftentimes doesn't follow any formula because people react differently to that. It's kind of hard. You don't know what they're going to say and how they're going to respond. Some people don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. Sometimes they have an outburst. Sometimes they say things you're unexpected. You You can't force them into a formula. And say, no, no, you know, stop, stop, stop. You got to do it the way I'm telling you to do it. And you got to say these words in this order. Remember, this is the message. This right here. Now let's look at this. It says, and that repentance and remission of sins. So what does that tell us? That tells us that when we're, when we're, when we're evangelizing, our primary focus is upon What? It's upon sin and how sin has wrecked and ruined the sinner. Repentance deals with sin. Remission of sins obviously deals with sins. It's not dealing, listen, we, we, oftentimes people say, you know, they, well, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the gospel is about, us, about sin and how a sinner can be made right with God and how sin has alienated him from God. It's not about any other consideration. It's about his spiritual condition, not his politics, not his physical condition, his spiritual condition. That's why the message deals with sin. But it says repentance and remission are both both part of the message and they 
they deal with a person's relationship to sin. First John chapter three, verse four. Listen to this. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. What is sin? Sin is not doing bad things. You see, that's a standard based upon society. Sin is violating God's law, whether society thinks it's good or bad. That is what sin is. That's the biblical definition of sin, 1 John 3, 4. People that we witness to are people who have violated God's law and therefore are guilty before God. They are alienated from God. They are cut off from the life of God. This is one of the core principles of the Great Commission. It deals with sin and nothing else. So this is how we must go about sharing the gospel with other people. We must focus on the spiritual condition of the person. That's what it's about. The spiritual condition of the person. Their guilt of sin before God is our primary concern. And listen, when we witness, it's the primary focus of our conversation. We want to save people from eternal death that sin has brought, right? See, the thing is, in evangelism, sometimes we get our focus off. We get it concentrated on this and on that instead of on sin. And again, this is a, a thing when you can't predict the way people are going to react to these issues. Now, it says in verse 47, it says, repentance is to be preached. What is repentance? Let's just, just real quick, what is repentance? Repentance deals with sin. Now, I've heard some people characterize and uh, redefine repentance away as if repentance is just turning away from unbelief. So, so they would say repentance is basically believing. And by doing that, you actually alter repentance. You take it away. So now it's just faith. There's no repentance. And when there's no repentance, there's no dealing with sin. So in the gospel, not only are we telling people to believe, we're also telling them to repent. What does that mean? It simply means this. A man's heart attitude toward sin has to change. They cannot continue to persist and be happy sinning against God. What they think about sin has to change because repentance is something that occurs in the heart. And then the, the works of repentance, the fruit of that follows. Now, let's look at a few verses in Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 2. Remember what we said before? We said that the, you have the Great Commission accounts, and then the book of Acts tells us how those things are to be practiced. An example is given. So look, look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to walk through Acts really quick. Run through Acts is a better way to put it. Acts 2, verse 38. This is what the apostles preached. Says this, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Notice he mentions sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In this, in this instance, in particular, he is, he is leveling an accusation that they are guilty of crucifying Christ. That's a sin. Look at chapter 3, verse number 19. 
Peter again speaking. He says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. See that? He calls them to repentance. He's not calling them to simple faith. He's calling them to repentance and faith. He's forcing them to come face to face with the reality that the way they live is is an offense to God. And they cannot continue to be in love with that sin. That is dealing with sin. You see, sin is a focal point in evangelism. It's a focal point. Now, when we say repentance, we're not saying that you have to stop all your sinning. Yeah, that would do a lot of good. We haven't done that. (laughs) Nobody else is going to stop all their sinning. But the heart's attitude must change. You know, they used to say, I remember Pastor Craig, he used to say, you know, you can't come bebop and chewing gum down the aisle to get saved. Why? Because that betrays the fact that you don't take sin seriously. Right? That's where, that's what we're talking about. Look at chapter 11 of Acts. Verse number 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted, what? Repentance unto life. I would say chapter 17. Look at chapter 17. The famous passage. Verse 30, Paul on Mars Hill. And this is is very plain. Verse 30 says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Paul's preaching. All right, I'm going to say it. You cannot, no one can come to God. No one can believe the gospel without repenting. The issue of sin and one's heart toward it must be dealt with. It is a part of the Great Commission. So when we we go out and we evangelize, now this doesn't mean we we look for their sin and say, oh, look what you're doing. You're doing this and you're doing that. You're doing this and you're doing that. But but the issue of sin is is a central theme in what we say. When you say you are a sinner and you have done things that are offensive to God. You have violated his law and you are guilty. And you will, God will bring you into judgment for what you have done. That's dealing with sin. You can't just skirt around that because it's an uncomfortable conversation. That's something they have to come face to face with, just like you did and just like I did. Chapter 20, if you would, verse 21. Did I even read this? Yeah, I read it. (laughs) Chapter 20. Testifying, verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. This is Paul. He's describing his own ministry. What did Paul preach? He tells you. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. They go together. You see that? We say, well, there's times where where repentance isn't mentioned. I agree. And there's times where faith isn't mentioned either. But just because it's absent doesn't mean it wasn't a part of their message. It's just not included in that particular account. In this case, both are included for our comfort. (laughs) All right? Verse chapter 26, verse 20. 
Paul speaking to Agrippa. He said, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So I think it's perfectly clear. Jesus said in the Great Commission account of Luke, you need to preach the gospel, what God did. You need to apply the gospel and you need to tell people they need to repent toward God. God is offended at their sin and their sin is going to drag them to judgment. Right? They must turn their back on it. I used to say it in Cambodia like this. You can't come to God with your sin. You can't come to God with your sin. You leave it here and you go. And that's all done in the heart. Turning one's back in the heart on sin. Then you have the term remission of sins. This is simply forgiveness from God. This is <clears throat> this shows the fact that the Lord tells us to preach repentance of sins shows that the, one of the main concerns and one of the primary aims of the Great Commission is to right a person's relationship to God. Because once the sin has been dealt with, the person has come face to face with it, and they've repented, and they come to Christ, they believed God forgives them, and they are then made right with God. Once the sin is out of the way, they can have a relationship with, with God. And that's what, again, that's what is being dealt with in the Great Commission. So, <clears throat> the primary, uh, primary objective when we, uh, according to this text, when we evangelize is not other endeavors or other matters. Even though they might be good, for instance. It's not things like education, poverty relief, healing of the body, job training, you would not believe the kinds of things that I've heard pass off as evangelism, as a missionary in a poor country. Anything and everything is missions. But again, read the text, right? Look at what it says. This is missions, but not just missions. This is our mission, right? Because it starts here, because he says what? beginning at Jerusalem. That's where you are. This is where this is taking place. That's Greenville, right? That's Greenville. We, some people say, we must not only treat the soul's ills, we must also treat the ills of the body, else we won't be holistic. Holistic. Don't you like that trendy word? Holistic. Yet they say you can't just witness to someone and tell them of their soul's need and save their soul. You have also have to save the body. I don't read that in this. In fact, none of the Great Commission accounts mention that. But the Bible does say, as ye have therefore opportunity, do good unto all men, right? Especially those them of the household of faith. So that's there. But this is, this is the message, right? This is the message. And oftentimes when people talk like that, they use the miracles of Christ as their argument. But again, who is, who, do, does your Bible have red letters? Verse 46 and 47, what color are those? 
They're blue. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because she has the cool Bible. Mine are blue too. This is the words of Christ, the same Christ who healed the body. He says, what do you preach? You preach the gospel, repentance, faith. You have to apply it. Notice what it says, and we're almost finished. Among, he says, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. You know, that was a startling idea. Did you know they weren't, this is at the day of the resurrection. And Jesus is telling them, and in fact, this is going to be, this point is going to be repeated in all four of the, of the Great Commission accounts. The fact of all nations. The Lord from the beginning intended that the gospel save the world, Right? but they didn't even start preaching the gospel to the Gentiles to chapter 10 or 11 of Acts. But it's right there. He says, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, this is more fully developed in Acts chapter 1 when he says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We're, we're that uttermost part. That's us. To Jerusalem. What it, this is that the beginning of the progression. But here's the thing I want you to see from this, beginning at Jerusalem. We, just like I said on Sunday, we as a church must be fulfilling the mission to evangelize those around us. And it says, should be preached in His name. Now there's two ways you can do that. We can witness to those around us as we go about our day, and we should do that, and I should do that. But then we should also, and there's biblical grounds also, to intentionally, on a schedule, at a certain appointed time, together serve the Lord in evangelizing. That's also biblical. And when we get a clear focus of our mission of a church, then we can set about fulfilling that mission. This is why we're here as it relates to this world. We're not here to provide humanitarian aid. We're not here to build hospitals. That's all fine and good, but that's not why we're here. We're not here to, to run medical clinics. That's all fine and good, but that's, that's not what's in the text. You see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, that's not what's there. <laughs> and see, here's the thing. In Greenville, South Carolina, what do people think the church is there for? To help the poor people pay the power bill, to run a soup kitchen, right? Now, as we have opportunity, it's fine and good to do those things, but that's not the core mission. We... Listen, and this, this is totally outside. This is the thing the world does not like about the church. If you're a church and you don't say anything about Jesus and you feed the poor and you, and you help, they're perfectly happy with you. But you say one word about Jesus and all that's off. They want a church that's a social organization, not an evangelistic organization. But this is our mission. And lastly, verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. We enjoy the presence of God. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. 
We enjoy the presence of God in us at all times in the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you not? He's our peace. He gives us comfort and joy. But in reality, according to verse 49, one of God's primary reasons in giving us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us is to give us power to accomplish this work. Not to make us just feel good, although I'm thankful for that, but to accomplish this job, this task, the Great Commission. Lastly, look at John chapter 15. We, won't, we will not need to return to Luke. John 15, I just want to read a few verses talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Lord says the same thing. Verse number 26 of John 15. Verse 26 says this, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he, listen to what it says, he, that's the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, but that's the Holy Spirit in us. That's the context. He shall testify of me. That's interesting. So the Holy Spirit in us is going to testify to others. That's interesting. And ye also bear, shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse 7. Look what it says. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he, the Spirit of God, is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Hold on. Where does the Spirit of God come? Help me now, help me. Does he come and just kind of float around? No. He's talking about the indwelling. He is in us. And when the Spirit of God is in us, what does he do? He reproves the world of sin and of righteousness. And of I, I, did I not just read how that sin is one of the key focal points of the Great Commission? Dealing with the problem of sin? Here it is. The Spirit of God dealing with it through us. Of sin, verse 9, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. This is the job of the Holy Spirit as he does it within us by means of the Great Commission. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit is doing things in this world through us. That's what it's t telling us. He has given us power. Listen, you might be timid about witnessing, timid about sharing the gospel, standing on the corner and passing out a tract. But listen, the Holy Spirit was given to you and to me to give us the power to do it. And listen, I just want to encourage you. Take part in that ministry. Do it. Do it. Fulfill the purpose that the Lord has put us here in the church. All right, let's pray.